Hello and welcome to Movies on the Side. This is Stephen Robles and coming from an underwater car is... This is Nate Baranowski. And we are so glad to be back, listeners. And we are reviewing the 2000 movie Mission Impossible 2. Would you have to say Mission colon Impossible uh, 2 Roman numeral II? <laughs> you know what? I think I will. Mission colon Impossible Roman numeral II. There we go. Very good. We talk about this 21-year-old movie and discuss the places where the rose-colored glasses may have cracked a bit. We discuss all the doves and close-up face shots from the director John Woo. We go to Romance Corner and discuss Ethan Hunt and Naya, and we go to Accent Corner to discuss Sean Ambrose's Scottish accent. And Nate is hotspotting to janky AirPods in a car in the middle of the desert. I'm not sure if the last part is true. But we're back, so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All All this and more. Oh, are you trying to steal my line? No, no, go for it. No, it's all you. All this and more on Movies on the Side. Listeners, it has been a minute, as the young people say, since we recorded an episode. But we are back. One of us, back fully. The other... Recording inside of a frozen cube like David Blaine. If the sound quality is bad, it's because I'm doing a 48-hour challenge. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. He did the frozen cube thing, and then he sat in a plexiglass cube like above the river, right? Yeah, maybe it sounds like I'm in a plexiglass box right now. Just picture me dangling above Times Square or wherever. Listeners, I want you to know that the dedication, we know it's been a couple weeks. If you subscribe to our bonus episodes, which you surely should, I don't know why I had to use that alliteration there, but I have been moving. Verily, verily, you should <laughs> listen to our bonus episodes. You should, because we explain why the last several weeks I have been moving, Nate has been working and traveling. It's been a very busy couple weeks, and now Nate is hotspotting with his <laughs> with his computer in the passenger seat of a car not plugged into any power forgot the cable for his microphone and is recording with janky knockoff airpods as his mic but we are doing it for you listener we are here and steven has positioned it like be grateful i'm going to position it like I'm sorry. We also deeply apologize for Nate's sound quality this episode. <laughs> and for missing for the last couple of weeks. We try have tried for about three years now to be pretty consistent with our episodes. So yeah. we will try to jump back on the wagon and That's keep right. giving you guys podcast episodes because I, like you, like to listen to my own podcast. And I was sad when I didn't have it. It's true. It's true. So hopefully, listeners, maybe you went back and caught up on some episodes. You know, Jacob... Your brother, he listens to our show. I've heard, but sometimes he'll he'll like group text us, you know, about an episode. Uh-huh. But it'll it'll be an episode from like three months ago, and I just think to myself, Jacob, your own brother is on this podcast. Wouldn't you listen to it regularly? I mean, isn't that like an unspoken thing? Yeah, but he likes to like a lot of our listeners. Mm. I have heard that sometimes you don't listen to an episode if you want to watch the movie because you want to watch the movie first and then listen to the episode. Right. Therefore, right. we are giving you guys a movie that is 21 years old and hopefully you have seen it <laughs> oh my goodness. before now. Nate, the fact that you just said this is 21 years old, mm-hmm. I knew that, but I didn't think about it. And now I'm sad. Because you feel old. Because <laughs> this week is Mission Impossible 2 that came out in the year 2000. 
2000, 21 years ago. What in the world? Also, as you were talking about how people listen to our episode, I thought about saying podcasts are a dish best served in the car. Mm. But I didn't know how it was going to fly. But but I wanted to I wanted to stick it in there. You know, a little Mister Freeze reference. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I think people also say that too. Like I remember, <laughs> I think I don't know if it's friend of the show Cecily. We were like, "Hey, have you heard this episode?" And she's like, "Well, I haven't driven anywhere lately, so <laughs> I only right. listen. So I only listen when driving." Right? Exactly. Stephen, can you just bite off a quick sample of your Mister Freeze impression? Oh, man, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mr. Freeze? Yeah, well, I mean, are you talking about the animated Mr. Freeze? Yes, I'm a, <laughs> the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mr. Freeze. I would have loved to see a Christian Bale uh, movie with a Mr. Freeze, like a Christian Bale Batman movie with Mr. Freeze. That would have been nice. <clears throat> Revenge is a dish best served cold. I feel like I, I went with an accent that is not Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know what you did there, but I loved it. I tried. I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. The icy cold of space. Ah. Let's get to Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2, Nate, the Rotten Tomatoes for this movie. Just take a wild guess on what critics thought about this movie. I mean, the year was 2000. What I know already, I don't know the Rotten Tomatoes score, but I know this movie made like $600 million. It was like number one movie gross yep. revenue in 2000. And I'm going to say critics thought to themselves when they saw a flaming door with a glowing dove oh. fly through it. I think they were swept up in it. And I'm thinking that this movie got like a 78% critics. This movie got 57% critics score. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. But audience, and, uh, audience has to be above 80. Believe it or not, audience said 42%. <gasps> 42%. So here's the deal. I was way off. I have a little bit of history I want to share. Number one, the year I got a DVD player for Christmas... It was a very exciting year. And with that DVD player, I got four DVDs. It was. Can you get, what, what movies do you think? If I got four DVDs, this is me in high school as a teenager. I'm pretty sure you've said this before. Otherwise, I have just a feeling in my gut. Okay. That Matrix was one of them. No. No? Strike one. You have three more guesses. Gladiator. Yes. Gladiator was one. Mission Impossible 2. Of course, yes. A a war movie, like Saving Private Ryan uh, on DVD, Uh, remastered? That was close. It was The Patriot with Mel Gibson (sighs) and The Perfect Storm. Those are the four DVDs. Mission Impossible 2, Gladiator, Perfect Storm, and The Patriot. But Mission Impossible 2, as one of my first DVDs, I watched this movie a lot that year. Because, you know, DVDs, it was the promise of, like, higher quality. You don't even have to rewind the VHS tape. Jump to the scene. Our younger listeners don't know what that means. That's right. You jump to a scene. It was amazing. So I watched this movie a bunch. But I hadn't seen it in a while. And you get that uh, rose-colored glasses thing. You think, man, Mission Impossible 2. It's one of the best. One of the best movies. And so what I have been doing recently is my children... My boys especially wanted to see Mission Impossible movies. And so we have seen five of the six current Mission Impossible movies. But I started with Ghost Protocol because I remembered that there was a transition between like old style Mission Impossible movies and then like the new hotness Mission Impossible movies. Right. It was like what Fast and Furious did is like there were the old ones that were right. about car racing on the streets and then it all of a sudden became like avengers in cars <laughs> right exactly and so i couldn't remember if three 
was that transition period. And I think now that I've seen them all again, I think three is when it started moving over. But Ghost Protocol with Tom Cruise on the side of the building, the Burj Khalifa, I knew for a fact that Ghost Protocol was of the new era of Mission Impossible movies. So so we started there. And some canonical proponents might feel like I've done my children wrong or a disservice, but we did Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. So the newest three in that order. They go together nicely. And that got them hooked. They said, okay, Mission Impossible is very cool because those have great action stuff. All three of those movies. Great movies. Yeah, the Rebecca Ferguson trilogy. That's right. Then we went back and I said, listen, Mission Impossible 1, you're not going to like it. Coming off Fallout, which we've reviewed on this podcast, which is a great movie, Henry Cavill, lots of action. If you go from Fallout to Mission Impossible 1, that's a real punch in the gut. <laughs> like, well, very it is movie. if you think about them as having ludicrous action scenes. But right. back in the day, Mission Impossible was, first and foremost, an espionage thriller. Right. That was meant to be a who can you trust? Who is potentially wearing a mask? There's a knock list. Yes, the knock list. The knock list. And then I would say Mission Impossible 2 and 3 each did such different things. Very different. You mentioned Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. They found a lane. They pretty much stuck to it. Yes. 1, 2, and 3 are about as different from each other as any three beginning movies in any film series. Would you say that that's about true? Absolutely. You could have named those first three movies like Liam Neeson movie titles, and they would have played as three different movies, for sure. You could have called it The Spy. You could have called the second one Outbreak, which is the name of another movie, but I would have uh-huh. worked in Mission Impossible 2. And then three, you could have called uh, the pill that Wife's, kills you from behind Wife's the eye. You know, <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> so we watched one. They made it through. Terminal room scene, still very good from the first still one. Just good. want to mention that. It was very good. When we got to two, I w- here's what I remembered. I remember, okay, Tom Cruise has long hair in this movie. Yep. I remember that. I remember... The ending action sequence, like verbatim, uh-huh. or whatever the word is, like I, frame by frame. I remember everything of that last action movie. And I, like, I knew the movie. Yeah. But re-watching Mission Impossible 2, it, as the kids say, hits different uh-huh. watching it after some amount of time. It is firmly planted in 2000 in a way yes. that a lot of other movies don't capture themselves in a mason jar in a, a year or two, mm. quite like the movies that dropped between 99 and 2001, that early DVD time. Yeah. This is one of them. Yes. The director, and I believe he's only directed this one Mission Impossible movie, is John Woo. Yes. It was clear that they were trying to go for more action in Mission Impossible 2 than in the first one. Again, trying to appeal to that 2000s era movie watcher. Mm-hmm. From the IMDb trivia, it is stated that John Woo's first cut of this movie was three and a half hours long. That is very long for a Mission Impossible movie. And apparently a lot of it was like action and violence. But short for a Zack Snyder oh, that movie. That is true. Apparently, a lot of that extra time was action and violence that gave it a rated R rating. Like this was going to be a rated R movie in the first cut of John Woo's deal. That's like a lot of action and violence for a Mission Impossible movie. I mean, that was his... John Woo's background 
a ton of pretty violent martial arts movies. Right. Moves to, I guess you would call it like mainstream Hollywood-ish movies with like face-off. Oh. And Broken Arrow. And you have like, again, super violent, visceral movies. But then you have to get yourself down to a PG-13 that was like the money-making rating back right. then. Right. Do you know that John Woo also directed Paycheck in 2003? With Ben Affleck? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. So knowing that, I remember the plot of this movie, which is that there's some virus called Chimera. Very cool name. Naming in this movie, on point. And the antidote being Bolerophon. I could have told you that if you had asked me any year after 2000. I would have known yep. that and the plot, no problem. Sean Ambrose is the bad guy. Knew that too. It's great. There was a, There's a distinct feeling of this movie of the director, like John Woo, he has a very specific, I guess, visual style Yeah, where absolutely. you see a lot of faces really up close and there's a lot of like quick zooms. With a real quick zoom yes. into their faces <laughs> the quick and zoom. then followed by a slow-mo cut of action. But then the, the zoom to the next face is super fast. It has a style. So much slow-mo, so many fast zooms into a face. Like just a little bit into the movie, I was like, I never knew. My teenage self did not realize how weird this all was. Yes. <laughs> like it was okay, it was just bizarre. Let's talk real quick about the difference between watching it now and watching it when I was 12 years old. Right. Here are the things I struggled with now, and here are the things I appreciated. This visual style from John Woo, I actually appreciated it this time around as this is a creative choice that he has made, and I'm down for it. Like, if you're a director... Put your spin on something. Doesn't, you know, it's different and memorable in a way that, like, all movie making should not be the same. So, right, I right. appreciated it this time around. I was like, it is different. It is weird. It is trapped in the year 2000, but okay, somewhat weird, but cool. The plot of this movie, I must have never cared about growing up because trying to actually follow the okay, you have the antidote, you don't have the virus, you are, Tom Cruise is going to, Ethan Hunt is going to go get the virus, but he needs to destroy the virus, Yeah. but then it gets traded out, and then the virus and the antidote is presented to try to raise the stock of whatever, biotech or whatever the name of that Biosite. <laughs> Biosite. Yes. <laughs> it is, I found it a lot more difficult to fully grasp as an adult Whereas a kid, I was like, I don't care. Get me to the gunfire in the uh, yeah. in the glass part of the lab. Yes. It's weird. Uh, typically, I don't know, this kind of plot point also terrifies me if I think about it too long. But whenever there's like a deadly disease and an antidote, like I'm all about it. So even though the plot <laughs> was convoluted, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Deadly virus yeah. has a cool name. Inject the deadly virus in your arm. 20 hours till the antidote. It's all good. Man, I still remember that moment when she injects the virus into her cell. Slow-mo. A spoiler, if you haven't seen this 21-year-old movie. But man, like, I re oh, and also that slow-mo didn't have enough frames. I'll just say that. <laughs> but I just remember like that, oh, man, visceral response. And I think my wife was seeing this for the first time as we were watching it all as a family. And she was like, oh. why did she do that? And I was like, well, that's a you good question. Keep the guy, you got to keep Sean Ambrose from getting his hands on it. Because when she wants Ethan Hunt to kill her. Okay, we're jumping into the climax. We can't do this. We have to go back. <laughs> all right. So we go back. First of all, the movie opening with the rock climbing scene, 
very memorable and uh, very cool. I'll just say that. Yeah, parodied by Ben Stiller, I think, for some sort of Oscar thing, I remember. Yeah. Can I just say one more thing about the DVD release oh, yeah, of this movie? Uh-huh. I have absorbed in my memory, in hard drive space in my brain, yes, so many special features from the making of this movie. Oh, really? I don't know how this maybe just came about in a time where I was so super interested in how movies were being made. Sure. But like I have seen behind the scenes of the dagger in the eye. I've seen behind the scenes oh, yeah. of like the rock climbing portion yep. of the, like using the breakable glass in the scene yep. on the motorcycle chase. I have seen so many behind the scenes footage. It was back in the day where DVDs meant, Hey, we'll give you an hour of special features. Oh, absolutely. Probably. Cause John was like, listen, I only gave him a, a short movie in comparison to what I wanted to give roll behind the scenes. All you want. Yes. Yes. I remember the behind the scenes a lot. But I did want to say, the moment I knew this movie was different <laughs> is mm-hmm. at the end of that rock climbing scene, he gets the sunglasses that tell him his mission. And the way it transitioned to the opening credits is Tom Cruise throwing the sunglasses, staring at them as they fly, like they float in the air. Uh-huh. And then the glasses explode to the intro song. I was like... <laughs> I was like, this is, and this is very different to all of the Mission Impossible movies, but I'm here for it. Yeah. I was here for it. I also want to say the, who's the head of MI6 or like who's Ethan Hunt's handler. I'm glad you've gotten to this point. This is where I wanted to go next. Yes. Anthony Hopkins Mm. in a Mission Impossible movie. Yes, please. Yes, please. Why couldn't he be? They should have had him in this one and then gone. Why don't we do all of them? Absolutely. We're back in the editing this podcast world, right, Stephen? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Can you give me just a little snippet of him saying, Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Mm. It was so good. So one of the things that I'm proud of is my kids now have like favorite characters from the Mission Impossible series. Luther, yes. Luther Stickle being the favorite of course yeah my my jordan was always asking like is he in this movie and i can thankfully say yes he's in all but one do you know why he wasn't in ghost protocol he's not in that one mission impossible movie no i don't know that's strange we have to look up that trivia but anyway as luther stickle and benji in the latter three movies are regulars in appearance Mm -hmm. i would i like you were saying i would have loved anthony hopkins to have been the regular like Oh, just put him in all the movies. I thought he was great in there. Now, the plot hole of him not telling Ethan Hunt that the woman that he's recruiting is there because she has a past relationship. Like, not giving your agent all the information he needs is pretty negligent. Right. When you lead a spy organization. Yeah, that that seems silly. But, man, I have to talk about... I could talk about Naya for a long time. All right. And I don't know how we... Is this when we get into it? Yeah, so Naya Nordoff Hall played by the actress Thandi Newton. Tom Cruise's then-wife, Nicole Kidman, actually recommended her for the role because she was co-starring in some other movie with Nicole Kidman. And they, like, casted her before the script was even written or something like that. So she was, like, locked into this movie early on. I'm pretty sure she was also in Westworld, which Anthony Hopkins was in. So if we're going to do yes. play one of those games about what we know them from. That's right. That is right. So what is your, what are your thoughts? Okay. Here are some of my thoughts. One, she had a great impact on 12 year old me. Uh-huh. I thought she was beautiful. Okay. I think at the time, I think I may have even pronounced one of the most beautiful women I had ever seen. <laughs> wow. I made a lot of <laughs> you know proclamations when I was 12 watching sure. DVD movies. Okay. But they have a meetup 
during the like flamingo dance. Yes. And the whole like thieving, stealing sort of thing that I thought again was super cool. And it's like, oh, man, I can't wait to meet my wife when we're both trying to steal the same thing <laughs> from a villa. <laughs> sure. But I wanted to, she turns out to be like actually a pretty well-rounded character. Yeah. I mean, for a two thousands movie, right. She definitely has some like grit. She jumps into this mission to get with the worst guy in the world, Sean Ambrose, who is just a look of him. This is just an evil man. He's got a punchable face. <laughs> poor guy. I don't know if he's ever played a good guy, but right. Dougry Scott struggled, you know, with that. I want to talk about romance corner. Oh man. Can I just add one, one note here? Yes. We have been watching the mission impossible movies with vid angel, uh-huh. a service that will mute curse words and skip scenes uh-huh. that are inappropriate for children. Whatever the setting is for like, exposing bodies i'm not sure i don't know what the vid angel setting is for that uh-huh. but for some reason the dress that she was wearing in that initial scene where they're like thieving uh-huh. vid angel thought it was very inappropriate and so watching it with vid angel it would skip like 20 second ch- Entire scene. it would skip in like 20 second chunks and so that whole thieving scene lasted maybe five seconds <laughs> and we heard like like four half words like couldn't even like speak a whole word and and like everybody was at that was also a pretty important plot if i remember correctly like i mean them realizing that she's a thief and kind of i mean the thieving you know comes into play later but you could just watch her thieving and be like oh okay she knows how to thieve right it, it was just it was very jarring for that whole first oh, scene i was like wow so early on you didn't get this in your vid angel cut but so then early on they do their like little meetup yeah. and they sleep together. Right. Ethan Hunt and Nia Hall, which I definitely got James Bond vibes mm-hmm. kind of early on of like, oh, you're sort of like the Bond woman, which I think going forward, they corrected in Mission Impossible because the difference between Ethan Hunt and James Bond is that Ethan Hunt is not a womanizer. Right. Exactly. He is truly like. He has his wife, Mission Possible 3, which is my favorite. He is a wonderfully sentimental man with a kind heart and is not just looking to sleep his way around. Right. But this movie in 2000, they do early on. Then they shoot the rest of this movie, Romance Corner, as if she is the most important woman in the world to him. Yeah. He would do anything for her. They have this great connection. And the whole movie, I think to myself, you don't know each other. <laughs> right. Give me your romance corner thoughts. Naya and Ethan Hunt. Forever love until six years later, Mission Impossible 3 comes out and we never hear of Naya again. Quite the gentleman. Not really. I triggered the alarm. It did feel shoved into this movie. It was hard to believe that they were like so close. And then in the back of my mind, you know, there's four more movies after this and she's not in them. Not in a single one. And so it's totally like it sticks. Like this movie sticks out in the Mission Impossible universe as in a different universe from Tom Cruise's hair to this romance to just everything. Anthony Hopkins. Like it it feels like this is not a Mission Impossible movie. I mean, it is because you got cool missions and action or whatever. Right. But yeah, like this, like this romance, it just feels just misplaced. It's my least favorite part of this movie, I think, when he is so wholesome 
and the other and respectful. Yes. He has that trainee yeah. in Mission Impossible three who is like a kid sister to him and she's a beautiful woman. And there was thoughts of like, Oh, maybe he's having an affair with her, but it's like, no, you see them together. And for sure he never did. He's super respectful. Right. And this feels like an outlier. Like, Oh, he wouldn't let, he would care for her as a person, but they set up in this movie. Like, well, they are romantic. Like he is, they are in love. And I was like, well, that's not love. No. No. And that's not the Ethan hunt that I, I know. Right, exactly. I guess technically in the first movie, he's young and dumb and doesn't have, ends up, I think, sleeping with the enemy. I don't think he falls for it because there's a moment when like, he realizes that she's probably bad. And I only know this because I just recently watched it. And so I. Like, oh, the John Voight's uh, wife. Yes. So anyway, yes to that. And to continue Romance Corner, transitioning into Bad Guy Corner, the love triangle between. Ethan Hunt, Nia Nordoff Hall. I don't know why you have to have a hyphenated long character name for this movie, but okay. Then Sean Ambrose as the bad guy and the previous love interest of Nia Nordoff Hall. Right. Nate, what did you think about Sean Ambrose as the bad guy? Sean Ambrose is so overly bad that for one, I think to myself, Nia, was there ever a time that you thought he was a good guy? Was ever, why did you ever fall in love with him the first time? It's a good question. Because this is a bad dude. Yep. I'm going to say here, we haven't been to this corner in a long time, but welcome back to Accent Corner. Oh, yeah. I believe that Sean Ambrose's Scottish question mark accent in this movie based in Australia, where I've never heard anyone speak with an Australian accent in this whole movie. <laughs> it's in Sydney. Right. That... I loved his accent, and I remember, you can bleep this part, haunt that down. <laughs> he says some villainous lines that are so hokey, but they landed for me. Hunt would prefer to enter Biosite somewhere from the top where security is minimal. He'll undoubtedly engage in some aerobatic insanity before he'll risk harming a hair on a security guard's head. Well, see, for me, the hokiness kind of took over. And I still remember, again, I watched this movie many times with a good friend at, when we were in high school. Uh-huh. And a lot of the lines we would make fun of because they just sounded so weird. Uh-huh. Like, this is at the end of the movie, but at the end when he's not dead, uh-huh. like Tom Cruise thinks that he's knocked out, but he's not dead. And so <laughs> Sean Ambrose like holds the gun and he says this line. You should have you killed should have killed me. No, so, but it's not it's not that good of an accent though. He he like almost slurs his speech. He's like, You should have killed me. You should have killed me. Little John Wayne. So the accent thing kind of fell back and forth on me. But also like with John Woo's, I feel like of all the characters, Sean Ambrose got like the most close face ups. Uh-huh. Like his face his face filled the entire frame of this movie many times. A lot. A lot. Yes. And for that, I was like, it starts to feel cheesy after a while. Like, he's really bad. He's a bad dude. And the reveal when he puts on the face maker as Ethan Hunt to find out that Naya is, you know, working with him yes. on the outside at night. Like, that moment, like, that reveal is still really good. And the way he takes off the mask by kind of, like, grabbing his face. He, like, rips it straight down and his yes. hair is, like, matted on his forehead. That's a great visual. Yeah, very good. Very convincing. But other than that, he just gets... I mean, he also cuts off 
his assistant's pinky or part uh-huh. of it with a, with a cigar cutter. That's something. Did, did Vid Angel give you that? Uh, did he give? Did Vid Angel give you the old cigar filter? We we got to see Stamps like reaction because I guess that's <laughs> yeah. not got it. It's not gory, you know. Okay. Yes, he is bad. He is super bad, and I think that he is smart. And I think his accent at times plays, even though it does make for me understanding the plot a little more difficult, trying to hear him be like, and these stock rises will be considerably more. Like, Wait, what? What, is this? what was that? It seems like such a complicated way to get money. Like, why don't you just extort a bunch of people for the antidote? Like, why does yeah. it have to be investing in stocks? What I like, yeah, exactly. It ends up being like, yes, I will day trade. yeah exactly i will get off gamestop at the correct time and now i'm counted dracula (laughs) i think what i really miss from this movie that i have in the other ones is that i like there being one big bad guy who is bad all the way through yeah but the subterfuge and the idea that a guy you trusted in was actually bad the whole time that's the part of Mission Impossible that I like. Yes. I like the the turn. The double agent. And this movie doesn't have a turn. The bad guys are the bad guys, and the yeah. good guys are the good guys. Anthony Hopkins never walks out and is like, I was bad the whole time. He's none. <laughs> That's why it was Mission Impossible. Yeah. I guess the turn is oh, the love interest injected herself with the virus. And I guess that's kind of like the shocking moment. This movie goes such a way from good spy craft. There is no good spy craft in this movie because, for example, let me tell you what happened. Sean Ambrose brings down a plane near the beginning, um, which, by the way, love that scientist. Yes. What's that guy's name? Dimi- Dimitri. Dimitri. No, he calls him Dimitri. Oh, yeah. Is he Dimitri? He, call, he calls Ethan Hunt's character Dimitri for some odd reason. I'm not sure why. Every search for a hero must begin with something that every hero requires. A villain. I love him in this movie. I don't understand much of what he does other than inject himself with the virus. But we know that Sean Ambrose has an Ethan Hunt mask that he uses to trick uh, the scientist at the beginning, brings down the plane, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Everyone knows this to be true and knows that somewhere out there is an Ethan Hunt mask that you use to imitate him. Oh, that's true. Now, before sending in Naya as a double agent in there, you better have some sort of like code word mm, safe where word. you say like a safe word that says like, hey, whenever we talk, I'm going to say watermelon at the beginning. If not, I could be Sean Ambrose in disguise. Mm, you got to know that's a possibility. Yes, that would have been a good point. I will say it's just speaking of spy craft. When you get to the horse race scene, and Naya does the sleight of hand yep. for getting the flash drive out of the envelope from his jacket and then putting it back, but putting it in the wrong pocket. Like wrong pocket. that was pretty cool. That was pretty good. Oh, that's a good, that was the best, some of the best suspense in the, yes. in the movie was, you know, her almost getting caught by him. And he says like, wait, wait there for a second. Hold on. And like, make a bet for me kind of thing. Yeah. You think that he found her out. But then also after like the race scene, when he tells stamp his assistant, like it's in my, left jacket pocket and you know that he knows you know that's pretty cool i i do want to say before we get off sean ambrose the actor his name is doug ray scott did you know he was going to play wolverine in the original x-men movie but because i did know this. because filming went over schedule on mission impossible 2 yep and he was injured in a motorcycle accident he couldn't be wolverine and that's why it went to hugh jackman and nate 
It's that kind of butterfly effect moment mm. that changes the course of history. Right. We we might have lived in a world where Hugh Jackman was not Wolverine, and I don't know. If, I don't know if right. I will. And where Doug Ray Scott was Barnum in Greatest oh. Showman. Oh my! This goodness. is the Greatest Show. Wait. That wasn't- <laughs> Scottish at all. My Scottish and Russian really kind of merged together in a bad way. That was an Eastern European accent, for sure. I don't know what kind. I break his jaw. I have to say one more Dougray Scott thing. For those who have not seen Taken 3, plug your ears for 10 seconds. Uh In Taken 3, the one where Liam Neeson's too old to play the role anymore, but they still are pumping out Taken movies, they replaced the role of Stuart, who is the lovable new husband of uh, Jean Grey in, in the Taken movies, they replaced the actor with Dougree Scott for Taken 3. And that ruined that movie for me because the turn in that movie is supposed to be that Stewart is actually bad, a bad guy. Yeah. Who's like the new husband. But they signaled that by putting Dougree Scott as the new actor. Like, oh, well, of course word. you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you in almost every movie you've done. Yeah, you can't be a good guy. Right. Anyway. All right, we have to talk about the action in this movie, Nate. Absolutely. Because there is some action. And the two scenes that really stick out is the biosite facility, Tom Cruise breaking in, flying in from the top, vents closing, last sec- you know, last second, all that good stuff. I feel like it's still good, but there's a lot of shooting. Like the firefight in that biosite facility. I feel like in other Mission Impossible movies, there's not as much Ethan Hunt just shooting people dead. That happens a lot in this movie. Yeah. Even Ambrose says early on, like, he'll do some sort of ridiculous acrobatics not to harm a hair on a security guard. But when the bad guys come a calling, <laughs> he'll blast you with a machine gun. No problem. <laughs> All hairs will be, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, uh, I will say his exit of that building, like throwing a bomb at a wall, shooting it, and then parachuting out the thing. That was pretty two cool. guns out by his side in a sweet pose. <laughs> In a skydiving pose, except he's jumping out of a building. Yeah. I do feel like when he enters that building and he jumps from that helicopter and he's like, Luther, time to open it. And he jumps before the little slats are open. Right. If Luther's not able to do that, you did a really bad thing to your friend Luther Stickle. Because you have to take Ethan Hunt Roadkill off of the prime off the slats. And it's like, oh, if only you had smash the button faster luther you could have opened those but that's just not good decision making to be jumping towards slats that aren't open yet and be like you'll figure it out <laughs> and you only have like 10 seconds right yeah that seemed a little mean yeah One, i'm going down ethan wait now the final action sequences in the bunker or wherever some secret hideout bunker all the scenes of ethan hunt stealthily taking out guys in the hallways and like hanging up in the rafter and the pigeons or whatever, giving his location away. I thought all of that stuff was pretty cool. Yeah, that is, we get to the weird uh, roundhouse kick punching in the sand, which does not age well later. But I think the bunker is still my favorite action part of the, of the movie because one John Woo gets to bring in a bunch of doves from his right. past, which right. is great. Two, we get the stamp Ethan Hunt sort of face off and him swinging through the door to kick him before he even heads into the door frame, which is amazing. Yes. And the slow-mo of Ethan Hunt walking through the hallway past the door 
with the door on fire, yeah, just barreling the bad guys. It's to me, it's still not hokey. It's still super cool. I still think it's super cool. Jordan was like, he kind of chuckled when that happened because it's like so clearly meant to be this epic moment. <laughs> uh-huh. It does feel like the movie's trying hard at that point. Kids these days are so jaded about movies trying <laughs> super hard to be cool. Back in the day, we when movies said they were cool, we believed them. That is true. Like the dove flies in glowing. and Yeah, it's a cool moment. I'll give you that. Also, if I have to watch a clip of this movie, I will watch a one-minute section yes where he shoots ethan hunt with his mouth closed and he says i break his jaw we find out that it's stamped duct taped underneath an ethan hunt mask yes and he's like this is what you call (laughs) getting your gun off or something whatever yes that's exactly what he says yes that that phrase shoots him oh yeah and then you see stamp running down the hallway yes pulling off the mask and it's ethan hunt and the music begins. Yes. Yes. Like that one minute clip is worth the price of admission, in my opinion. Absolutely. And then there's like that slow swelling music as Sean Ambrose yes. sees the pinky taped up. Yes. Tied behind his back. That is incredible. That moment is still great. I'll give you that. Still good. We get to the motorcycle chase, which is very exciting. Lots of action there. I don't know if it's possible to like ride a motorcycle off the seat with your feet on the road. Just being... friction. Just, yeah, your toes should be on the ground because your rubber should just be removed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess something like that is possible. I don't know how that works. Yeah, anyway. But when we get to the fight scene on the sand, this is the epic climax fight scene, fisticuffs, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. There's so many moments where it feels like, okay, I'm going to wait here for a second. Hit me. You do a move. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now you do a move. And like so many of these flying kicks that Tom Cruise is doing and Sean Ambrose is literally just standing there staring at him. I'm like, this this does not feel great. And it's all slow motion. Right. There's a knife involved and it, it hits Tom Cruise in the like most cool looking cut on his face, but not really anything super dangerous yeah. to his health. Now, the dagger with the eye thing. It's like in one of the top stunts that Tom Cruise has done himself. And, you know, the special features is where, like, the dagger was on some cable attached to a rig so it couldn't get any closer. Right. And, you know, the stunt guy was like... But it's like, it may have, like, scraped his cornea or something, I think. I remember reading or, like, there was a possible, yeah, safety issue. I don't know why the blade of a knife couldn't be CGI'd even back in 2000 in a somewhat realistic way. Cause I never saw that shot and thought to myself like, Oh, I'm glad that's practical because I would really be taken out <laughs> right. considering there are so many other CGI shots in here. It's like, Oh, but you needed that one to look really realistic. A knife and an eyeball. I think Tom Cruise insisted that it be real. Put this knife in my eye. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Super weird. Anyway, it was, it's fine. You know, you should have killed me. And then Hunt, like, kicks the gun upward. He kicks the gun upright and, like, splashes it up. In They do action in the slow-mo. Yeah. Where if action's happening slow-mo while the other person's standing still with a gun trained on you, it does give you the feeling of, well, shoot him now. Shoot Ethan Hunt now. <laughs> right, you would think. Just shoot him. Bad guy, shoot him. He's, he's like, upright for a good what two three seconds and right sean has the gun pointed at him right then like i don't know what you're doing there sean you messed up 
He could have had him. Right. But then he uh, goes on vacation in Sydney, Australia. Yep. Which, again, I didn't remember this movie was mostly based in Sydney because there no Australians were used in the filming of this movie, <laughs> apparently. Maybe <laughs> no. just the film crew. He goes on vacation with Naya. That's it. And the next we see him six years later in Mission Impossible 3, he's married. Yep. To a different woman. Yep. And he's a great house husband. Now that's a knife. Now that's, that's a-, a knife. Yeah, should I Crocodile Dundee in here? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, let's write this movie, Nate. All right. On a scale of zero to five doves in memory of John Woo. I don't think he's dead, but I just I just wanted to say in memory of for he's some reason. He's definitely still alive. He's definitely still alive. Zero to five doves. Nate, how would you rate this movie? I'm going to give Mission Impossible to Nostalgia plays a big part in it. Yeah, yeah. I yep. would watch this movie again over some other movies so rewatchability gives it a bump up i'm gonna give mission impossible to two doves and a tiny baby dove two doves ostensibly two and a half doves but i didn't want to say half dove that felt morbid Mm. i'll give it two doves and then stamps little finger (laughs) okay is that better less morbid it's wrapped in white tape so i'll allow it yeah it's fine it's fine you can connect that later yeah it's right down the middle for me Plot-wise, I don't particularly enjoy it. There are major plot elements that I feel have super huge holes in them. I think the romance is weird. And the fact that that seems like it motivates him the whole movie versus more of an altruistic saving a fellow agent uh, doesn't. It's too James Bondy for me. I want yeah. Ethan Hunt to be better than that. Yeah. But it's really got some fun action scenes. Yeah, yeah. we'll go two and a half for me. All right. Two doves and a finger. I'm going to let my nostalgia bump it up for me. I'm going to give it three doves. One dove for Luther Stickle. (laughs) Another dove for Ethan Hunt's action scenes in the bunker. Oh, we didn't even hear about the fact that he he escaped that van because he saw a reflection of the bomb under his van through the rearview mirror, through a puddle. That's some (laughs) luck, my friend. No, no, that's Luther Stickle. You can't get him. That's Luther Stickle. Showing up to... Australia with like Versace jacket and Gucci shoes. That is one of my favorite lines is when he says they put a hole in my Versace and then he gets the rocket launcher. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yep. listen, all the, all those reasons why, yeah, third dub for me. I, I still enjoyed watching this movie, however weird it was. I'm glad it exists. And yeah, it's, it's a different Mission Impossible movie for sure. Three doves, three doves for me. Listener, let us know. What did you think of this Mission Impossible 2 movie? If you remember it, if not, you should go watch it and then... Let us know. Comment on our Instagram at Movies on the Side. If you haven't yet, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And if you want to listen in detail to what we've been doing the past several weeks and why we haven't posted an episode, you can go to patreon.com slash movies on the side, support the show with any amount, and you get access to all the back catalog of bonus episodes and the new ones, and then you can hear that story as well. And as we always say, we've got 19 hours and 57 minutes. I'll get... <laughs> Our phone into your system by then. Just stay alive. I'm not going to lose you. I was down with that line, though. I, I was. I liked yeah. it. Stay alive is is pretty strong.